Welcome to the New Jersey Department of Education's Bureau of Bilingual ESL Education Podcast. I'm Ken Bond, the State Program Coordinator and your host. In this podcast, I have bite-sized conversations about English language learner education with leaders in the field. During this episode, I'll be talking with Jessica Levin, a staff attorney for the Education Law Center, and Elizabeth B.J. Franks, a consultant for Yamame and the sociopolitical concerns representative for NJTSOL and JBE. This is part two of a two-episode series in which we will be diving into the topic of advocating for English language learners, also called ELS. We will jump in where we left off last episode. If you haven't listened yet, it might be a good idea to go back to part one of this two-part series. So you, you just mentioned parents, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit. How can educators stand in solidarity with parents of English language learners to amplify their voices? <laughs> well, you know, a part of our bilingual code is that districts have parent workshops uh, throughout the year. So I think that's one avenue, uh, using those parent workshops as ways that we can inform parents of, of what their rights are and inform them of the American educational system. I think that's the other. Sometimes it's, they have no idea. A board of education, what is that? You know, I'm allowed to go and talk to a board member and, and say what I feel. I think the parents may not even understand what our system, how our system is set up. So I think using those parent workshop opportunities as a way to, to inform and educate parents just, you know, how our, how our system works and what is it that they can do, what, is, what are their rights that they have, uh, what are the students' rights. And so I think that's um, one important way. I think also connecting them to other organizations. So the schools may not have all the information, but Education Law Center might be one resource. NJ SPAN is another, another resource. Uh, there are lots of immigration rights uh, organizations now. So I think just uh, providing information for parents of what other agencies uh, they could go to that would be able to support them and help them, I think is, is very critical. And the whole issue of the, of the language barrier, I think, is, is very important, you know, how schools can address, address that. So thinking about, with technology now, I think that it's really so much easier than when, when I started. I keep, you know, laughing. I say, when I taught, I used to have to go through the Peabody picture vocabulary <laughs> kit and pull out all the pictures. You know, now you have technology, you just click on something and you have translations and visuals and, and things that can really support that. So I think there are lots of ways now that we can uh, provide access for parents who, who want to have a voice by using some of that technology in our Board of Ed meetings and, and at different places uh, so that parents know, you know, these are tools that you can use that will help you to have that conversation. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought this up, Ken, um, because we know that parents of ELLs are often learning English themselves, and then there's a broader group of parents whose children may not be classified as ELLs. They may already be multilingual and speak English, but the parents are still learning English, and so it's a very large group, um, and we should pay, I think, even more attention to them and to making sure that they have uh, translation services, interpretation services in the, in the broader education context so that they know all the important information um, and receive it in a language they can understand. And I agree completely with BJ. I want to just add a little bit to the excellent points she made. 
first on the requirement that districts have a parent advisory committee. Uh, under our code, any district that's implementing a bilingual education program um, is supposed to have a bilingual education, is supposed to have a parent advisory committee on bilingual education. And so in districts that may not have that or where it might have um, become a little defunct and it's not meeting regularly, that's a great way um, and again, very concrete and tangible to start that up and get those parents involved in the process. Another way to stand in solidarity with parents is just making sure that they have access to information and to advocacy resources inside schools uh, and outside schools. So the NJDOE website provides a lot of excellent resources for parents and educators. And our host, Ken Bond, is an extremely knowledgeable and helpful resource at the DOE on all things ELL. Um, and I know that often when I have a question, I've written to you and called or called you. Um, county superintendent offices are also a great resource for parents who have concerns about their child's education. And, you know, if needed, there are other government agencies like the New Jersey Division on Civil Rights, um, SPAN, the Statewide Parent Advocacy Network, works to inform and empower parents and pays a lot of attention to language access issues for people who are, are accessing their resources. Um, and of course, parents can contact Education Law Center where I work. And our website, which is edlawcenter.org, has a lot of resources for parents and advocates, and many of them are fully translated. Uh, mostly into Spanish. We also have an intake phone line for parents who are seeking legal assistance or advice or just information with an intake coordinator who's bilingual in English and Spanish. And we then use a phone interpreter services service for any other languages. And that's also an important resource, I think, for our schools to be aware of that there are language phone lines for lower incidence languages. Um, so you can get access to an interpreter for pretty much any language that you need. So the last question I wanted to ask today had to do with future possibilities. You talked about some of the issues that are currently on your plate and some of the things that you've been currently thinking about and talking about. How are you processing them? And how do you think the field can think through those things? Okay. Uh, well, that's also a great question. Thanks for another opportunity to share a little bit of what we're looking at going forward. I mean, ALC and with our partners on various projects that I, I mentioned, those continue to be very important to us. And we are going to keep advocating um, on the safe haven issue, on the graduation issue. I want to highlight special education because I think this is an important area where we have to keep advocating vigorously for ELLs and their parents. Special education is a complicated area uh, in itself where it takes a team of school personnel and experts and parents to figure out what individualized services a child needs and when that child is an ELL, there are additional considerations like making sure the child is evaluated in the appropriate language that will yield results about their potential disabilities and what services they need and interventions, uh, and also making sure that parents receive translation and interpretation services so that they can be fully involved in those really important choices that are being made for their child. So I think we have been working in this area for a long time, and we have work that we need to continue to do. A second area is advocating for more true bilingual programs in our state whenever it's possible. I think this is a crucial step in meeting our state's mandate and promise to fulfill ELL's education rights at a very high level. New Jersey law requires bilingual programs, as you both know, in districts that have 20 or more students in the same language category. But it allows waivers under certain conditions 
instance where a bilingual program would be impractical. And we know from years of research, though, that bilingual programs, real true bilingual programs where students become bilingual and biliterate, have so many benefits, both academically and beyond. So we should continue to work to make sure that those programs are as numerous and as robust as possible. And finally, I want to mention um, the issue of funding and resources. We have to make sure that all districts have the funding and the resources they need to make sure that ELLs receive the educational programs so that they can succeed. And everybody needs to be an advocate and make this a priority. So I've just added funding to my list, Jessica. <laughs> it wasn't on there, but it, that is truly something that uh, we need to be aware of because we can't always provide the services needed if we don't have the funding. You know, that certainly makes it much more difficult for districts to do that. I also had on my list about having more bilingual education teachers so that schools may continue to expand their programs. If we don't have the, the educators, it's hard to implement those bilingual programs. Um, two other things that I'd like to just add, uh, it is really on assessment issues. We already mentioned uh, the graduation requirement. Uh, also, <laughs> this has been one of my personal uh, crusades, I guess you could say, is uh, that not, a, not requiring that our secondary level students have to take the park, uh, even if they're here the, for the first year. Uh, that is an, an exemption that's allowed in grades three through eight, but not allowed in, in secondary schools. And we think that that's been very detrimental to those students who have just arrived and they lose instructional time. It's not required at the federal level. It's really a New Jersey um, issue. So I would, I'm hoping that that's something that can change in the future. The other is to really uh, push for the assessments in, in Spanish. That's something that is provided for under ESSA. And we really want to encourage our uh, Department of Education to consider that. Uh, that is something that... Uh, again, when we have bilingual programs and students are being instructed bilingually, then we think the assessment should match the instruction. You know, that is not afforded to them. In ELA, we know that it is afforded in math and, and science. The other issues that we would also like to look forward to is talking about expanding dual language education. So not just bilingual education, but we have this wonderful resource here in, in New, the state of New Jersey where we have students who speak, who come in already speaking another language. And how can we, again, see those students as an asset? We have some districts who have begun to implement dual language programs. Uh, so that's something that we would like to encourage more of, uh, to look at that and, and thinking about a two-way dual language, which actually means that you have English speakers, and if we, the target language is Spanish, and Spanish speakers uh, together in the same classroom, and that both students become bilingual and biliterate in both languages. Especially since we have the seal of biliteracy at high school, uh, we want to encourage districts to create pathways uh, to that biliteracy uh, through these dual language programs. Um, connected to that is the expansion of preschools. So we know that that's been a part of the funding and we're extremely appreciative of that because what we know is that many of these districts that would really benefit from having preschool programs have a, a large number of English, what we call dual language learners at that age. Uh, and we think that that's uh, an important piece of the whole puzzle, that these students get access to high quality preschool programs. Um, and in doing so, to again, really advocate for districts who have a large number of dual language learners to consider implementing a dual language program at that preschool level. 
there are some districts that uh, have already started to do that. A few that I know of are uh, Jamesburg and uh, Englewood, Elizabeth, Perth Amboy, uh, to name just a few. Princeton doesn't have the preschool program, but they've also started a dual language program. And so these are, again, models that we can look to and, and talk to and start to, to network with these schools. You know, again, back to what are best practices and how can we really start to ensure uh, that our students, what they're bringing with them are seen as assets uh, and not deficits and that they can really benefit the whole, the whole school community. So those are some of the, oh, actually, no, there is one more, and it really is what Jessica said, but it's something that, again, is in our, on our radar, is the issue of uh, education uh, of the English learners with special needs, but also the whole issue of entry and exit of those students. Uh, we unfortunately hear uh, about districts who, once a child has become eligible for special education and services, that somehow they get automatically exited from the ESL or bilingual program. And so we are asking that that be addressed because we feel that that should not be arbitrary uh, based on a district's decision. It should be something that, um, again, is follows code, follows rules and regulations, um, and we're not just moving kids in and out of programs. Which means it's based on the English language proficiency score of the students, right? Exactly. And the multiple measures that districts normally use. To and I mean, certainly taking into consideration what is their disability um, that may impact the score on an English language proficiency test, but I think there are ways to be able to, to look at the whole child um, and make those decisions, but, but it should be a decision based on, on that, on that proficiency and that collaboration between departments and not just one that, oh, well, once they qualify for this program, then they no longer qualify for that. You know, that would not be a justification for removing a child from a bilingual or ESL program. So that is something that uh, we continue to advocate for uh, because it is such an important piece of the children with special needs and making sure that all of their needs are met, uh, not just their special ed needs. And just add a little note there as well, we do have an FAQ on our website if you're hearing what BJ is saying and it, it's something that you need to explore further, you can definitely check out that FAQ on the bilingual webpage and get some more information about what that exit process should look like, what the entrance process should look like for English learners who are also being considered for uh, special education because they might have a learning disability. So please see that document as well. May I also just thank you, Ken, and thank the bilingual office at the New Jersey Department of Education because, um, again, I feel so strongly that you have, you and your colleagues at, at your office have been so responsive to, to the needs of the educators in the field. I think most people, we always say, you can call the bilingual office, they'll answer your call, they'll answer your, they'll answer your email, maybe not the answer that you want, <laughs> but, but they, I, I do thank you because I do feel that uh, we have been heard, and uh, you work and advocate as much as possible at, the, at, the, at that level on what you can do, and I just really want to applaud you and your efforts and, and your colleagues in your office because we really do appreciate all that you do uh, for us in the field. Well, thank you for the kind words. It, it uh, is something that we are grateful for, that we have a space and we have a state that is so supportive of bilingual education. and. 
English language learners and their rights. So we, we anticipate that moving forward, that that will continue, and we're excited about it. And I just want to add my thanks as well, Ken, and just to say that we know that districts are being called on to serve a large number of ELLs, and it's a huge challenge, but we all know that it's also a huge opportunity and that there are many ways to meet that challenge successfully, but that it takes leadership to not just react to issues and to calls from advocates, but to proactively recognize and seek out what are those issues and what are the solutions and what can we do to make sure that ELLs have what they need to succeed. And I think your office is a big part of that. And things like this podcast, resources like this that get people thinking proactively about these issues are really valuable. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And uh, to both of you, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been just wonderful to talk to you. And I'll, I'll throw back exactly what you said to me, to both of you. We're so grateful for the partnerships that we've had and for the ability to partner with organizations like yours on things like the SS State Plan. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Also, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. It helps new listeners find the show. If you would like more information about ESL and bilingual education in New Jersey, please visit our website at www.nj.gov forward slash education forward slash bilingual.